Thank you for your singing tonight. There was such a uh, sweet sound. I um, appreciate that very much. Thank you to our musicians. Uh, our, uh, I was going to say most of our vocals, all the vocals from Charlie Thompson. Uh, thank you to Michael Weeks. I did not introduce him. Michael is an elder at IPC. He, he's the one who called for the offering and, and read the scripture. Uh, Michael's portfolio or area of responsibility is uh, our finances. Uh, we have a number of other people who contribute in various ways. We have a fellowship uh, person. We have sound and beamer and, and so on. And if you feel led to be a part of our team here, uh, uh, we would gladly put you to work. And uh, unlike most things in Switzerland, the training is absolutely free. So uh, no, no charge at all. In morning worship, I've been... Uh, engaged this fall in a sermon series on the book of Nehemiah. And I have to say that I never would have uh, done this had it not been for Sam Jurfee, who is the person who usually gives the messages at evening worship. Sam is uh, coming home from holiday tomorrow. But uh, Sam, about 10 years ago, took a a mission team to Eastern Europe, and he led a a group of people through a study of Charles Swindoll's uh, classic book, Hand Me Another Brick, which is a a study of uh, the book of Nehemiah. And at the end of this week, I mean, Sam was really into it and enjoyed it a lot. And at the end of the week, somebody said, Sam, have you ever thought about ministry? I mean, you've got a gift. And uh, as it turns out, Sam's work with the book by Charles Swindoll turned out to be part of his call to ministry. He he, uh, discovered a a gift he had for uh, teaching about 10 years ago. Anyway, uh, last spring, Sam and I were talking about uh, plans for the fall, preaching plans, and Sam said, uh, I, I think you might enjoy the, the book of Nehemiah. And as it turns out, uh, he was right. I mean, this is very interesting. I knew the outline of the story, of course, but to dig in and to spend time with it has been a rich experience. We're going to, uh, <laughs> we're going to be with Nehemiah all the way through the end of November. And uh, I'm just trusting that you know, the, these uh, truths are going to continue to emerge each week as we move, move along. Um, <clears throat> I have an, a New Testament reading for us tonight, and I've been using these New Testament readings partly to uh, illuminate what the Old Testament is saying, uh, but also to show us how a biblical figure like Nehemiah uh, points forward or anticipates the work of Christ. Uh, Jesus wasn't like uh, Nehemiah in every way, and I, I don't mean to suggest that they uh, were clones, but there are some uh, striking similarities. And uh, these similarities, I think, are intentional, and we should pay attention uh, to them. Uh, in several I- important ways, Nehemiah does anticipate the work of Christ. And I'm, I'm thinking, for example, of the, the way he was a leader, his uh, humility, his inner strength in the face of opposition and criticism in, in the lesson tonight, which Michael read, uh, the, the uh, opposition begins almost immediately. Right? Uh, uh, Nehemiah announces plans to, to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and uh, already someone says, eh, I don't think that's a good idea. Right? So uh, we'll get uh, into more of that uh, next week. Anyway, our New Testament lesson is from the first chapter of Mark's Gospel, and obviously it's at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, and, and Jesus here is taking time by himself to pray. And so he's gone off, and he hasn't left a note for the disciples about where he is. 
And uh, as we're going to hear, this causes a lot of concern among the disciples who are always on the verge of panic. Right? This is a theme throughout the Gospels. Oh, no, what's going to happen uh, now? And so it, it shows up already in the, the first chapter here. Uh, uh, remember, this is the beginning of Jesus' work. The group has not come together. They haven't gelled as a group. And uh, there's a great deal to do. And yet, this is what I want you to see. Uh, and yet, Jesus is taking time to pray, you know, to, to be quiet, to uh, find himself in alignment with the purpose and, and will of God for his life. It's extraordinary, and, and we'll, I'll say more about that as we move into Nehemiah. So, uh, Mark chapter 1, just these few verses. In the morning, while it was still dark, he, Jesus, got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him, and when they found him, they said to him, Everyone is searching for you. He answered, Let us go on to the neighboring towns, so that I may proclaim the message there also. For that is what I came out to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. This, too, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear friends of Jesus Christ, well, uh, here we are halfway through chapter 2, and Nehemiah has finally arrived in uh, Jerusalem. Uh, He has traveled the 800 miles, almost 1,300 kilometers, Uh, between the Persian capital and Jerusalem. He has his letters from the Persian king, Artaxerxes, authorizing him to uh, rebuild the wall in Jerusalem. He has the timber uh, or the lumber he will need for replacing the gates uh, of the city, which were burned by the uh, Babylonian army some 70 years before this. Uh, Nehemiah has finally arrived at the moment for which he has risked Everything. Remember that, uh, if you've read the story, he gave up quite a good job uh, in the palace as an advisor to the king. Uh, Remember that he had asked for a transfer, so to speak, uh, to one of the least attractive cities in the the Persian Empire. Uh, We may have an idealized image uh, of Jerusalem, and actually I do have quite a powerful image in in my mind of, of Jerusalem, but in the 5th century B.C., Uh, When Nehemiah first laid eyes on Jerusalem, it was nothing to write home about. Uh, It it was not the way Nehemiah's uh, parents and grandparents had described this city uh, to him. Uh, There was a great deal of work to be done to restore it to uh, any semblance of former glory. So uh, what does Nehemiah do? And this is so striking and and so unexpected that I want us to think about uh, uh, this for a moment This may well have been the biggest moment of Nehemiah's life. Uh, Remember that he had emptied out his pension plan, not really, but it was as though he had emptied out his pension plan and uh, gambled everything, and gambling may not be quite the right word, but I think you understand. He he gambled everything of worldly value on this project that lay in front of him, and what does he do? Well, he did nothing for three days. (laughs) I think that is extraordinary. Right? And, and the, the, the way the, the Bible tells the story, it sort of glosses over uh, that detail, but it's very, very important. Uh, uh, by the way, uh, you may want to think about another three-day period in the New Testament uh, during which the world uh, waited in eager anticipation right, for what God was going to do from Friday afternoon to Sunday morning. 
right? This, this three-day period becomes quite important uh, in Scripture. So uh, last week, as I prepared for today, I, uh, I couldn't help but think about all those times in my life. There haven't been that many, but those times in my life when I started a new position. And uh, at the last church I served, uh, uh, my first official day was Easter, uh, with three very full services, including uh, a sunrise service in a park uh, across the street from uh, my new church. And as you can imagine, I spent days getting ready for uh, this first sermon at, at this church, making sure it was the best Easter sermon I was capable of preaching. Uh, in another church, I arrived in the office uh, almost a week ahead of the official start date, and uh, I carefully arranged all of my books on the, the shelves, and I met individually with each member of the staff so that when the, the start date came, I could hit the ground running, and that was my goal. Uh, in fact, I proudly announced that to the congregation on my first uh, Sunday morning there, as if to say, aren't you impressed with how diligent uh, I am? and how eager I am to get started, and if they, they were, they never said so. Uh, what if, some of you weren't around uh, on my first day here but uh, a few years ago, but what, what if on my first day here at IPC, I had tossed uh, two or three boxes of books into my office and, and then announced, you know, I'm off to the Benedictine Retreat Center. <laughs> For a few days of prayer and, and, and contemplation, see you at the end of the week. Right? Uh, I could be wrong. I'm, in fact, I, I hope I, I would be wrong about this, but, but my guess is that IPC people would have been astonished. Yeah, I mean, maybe you would have been impressed and pleased uh, by that decision, but uh, I, my guess is that you would have been puzzled. Uh, that's not what we expect from leaders. Uh, we expect leaders to take charge, and, and we expect leaders to take charge right away. Right? We expect them to prove themselves to us in the first hours that they are in charge. And uh, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago in, in, in morning worship, I do not have a business degree. I've, I've never taken uh, management courses, but I've read a lot. And uh, I remember reading a story one time about a new corporate leader and uh, on his first day uh, uh, on the job, he took a bucket of black paint uh, out to the, the parking lot, and in full view of everyone, I mean, every employee in this uh, building was at the window looking down at their new leader in, in the parking lot, uh, he painted out the yellow stripes for all the reserved uh, parking spaces. And uh, the message was, if you are that important to this company, you should be the first one here in the morning. <laughs> well, after reading that, I never again asked for a reserved parking space uh, uh, at the church. You know, message received. And one more story about that. Uh, I remember reading one time a, a biography of Lord Mountbatten, uh, who was a, a British naval officer. Some of you know far more about him than I do. He, he was uh, Admiral of the Fleet uh, at, at one time, and he was also the, the uncle of Prince Charles. Uh, well, uh, of all the interesting information that I learned about Lord Mountbatten in this uh, biography, the one story that has stayed with me all these years is that before assuming command of a ship, Lord Mountbatten would learn the names. Think about this. He, he would learn the names of each and every sailor aboard that ship, and sometimes there were 1,500, 2,000 sailors uh, on a ship. He was a well-loved naval officer. 
And, and one of the reasons, not surprisingly, is that he knew the name of every sailor before he took command. And so, I, I mean, I read that and I thought, well, I should be doing that, you know, and I mean, what a great idea. And I have tried uh, over the years uh, to learn the names of church members at my first day, but I'm no Lord Mountbatten. So here's what I want to say about all of that. <clears throat> the first days and the first hours in a new position are critically important. They set the tone, they set the expectations for everything that is to follow. And, and, and so what does Nehemiah do? Well, he does nothing. Right? Well, not exactly nothing. Uh, Charles Swindoll, whose, whose book is my inspiration for this uh, sermon series, <clears throat> says that before there can be meaningful activity, there must be meaningful solitude. Right? Now, I wonder, uh, especially for uh, those of you who have leadership positions, and I have argued in this, worship, in this uh, sermon series that all of us are leaders of one kind or another. If you're a mom or dad or grandparent, Sunday school teacher, youth group leader, uh, I wonder if you have taken time right, to cultivate an inner life. Uh, successful leaders, Swindoll says, uh, know how to be alone. Uh, they take time to be alone. They uh, know how to spend time alone. Uh, they know how to think and pray and simply be by themselves. <clears throat> it, it was a famous American basketball coach, uh, of all people, who once said, uh, character is what you are when no one is looking. So when you are alone, <clears throat> what do you do? And where does your mind uh, take you? Uh, what kinds of things do you find yourself thinking about when you are all by yourself? And I'm serious about those questions. I don't mean to make you feel uncomfortable, although you know, maybe you should feel uncomfortable. I don't know. But I ask these questions because Nehemiah demonstrates this important quality or trait which later shows up in Jesus of Nazareth. Namely, that leaders are people who lead from the inside out. And, and if you've never heard that expression before, then I, I hope you will learn it uh, uh, tonight. Uh, all of us, leaders or not, live our lives from the inside out. And what I mean by that is whatever we cultivate on the inside, whatever we spend uh, time thinking about uh, when we are alone, is eventually what shows up on the outside. So you may be able to fake a rich interior life, uh, most of the time. But eventually, especially this happens in the tough moments and moments of crisis and so on, what's on the inside is going to become obvious for everyone to see. Uh, so all of us, old or young, uh, live our lives from the inside out. And Nehemiah, later Jesus of Nazareth as, as well, demonstrated this quality for us. Uh, I want to move along here because there's at least one more point that I, uh, I want you to see in this uh, wonderful story uh, after spending uh, time alone, after uh, carefully inspecting the, the walls of, of the city of Jerusalem at, at night, uh, not in full view of the local population, Nehemiah formulated his plan. So uh, I don't know how familiar you are with this story, but uh, ne Nehemiah was a deliberate man. If you look up the word deliberate in the dictionary, there ought to be a picture of Nehemiah right next to uh, this word. Uh, he fits the definition. Uh, in fact, there's a word in the story. <clears throat> thank you uh, for keeping it up. 
uh, there's a word in this story that occurs two times between verses 13 and 15. <clears throat> Nehemiah tells us, this story is told in the, the first person, Nehemiah tells us that he inspected the wall. Well, in English, that word inspect doesn't carry all that much weight. But the Hebrew word that Nehemiah chooses has this rich uh, dimension of a, a close physical examination. In fact, there's a, a, a medical connotation to the word which uh, Nehemiah chooses here. So it's almost as though, uh, you know, when the physician does this, I assume he's feeling my glands to see if there's a, an infection of some kind. That's the sort of inspection uh, which Nehemiah conducted uh, on this broken-down uh, city wall. And it's at this point, after the inspection is complete, after he has formulated a plan, it's at this point, at long last, that Nehemiah is ready to go public. And so he finally stands in front of the city council and he makes his case. So uh, remember, uh, uh, well, maybe you don't remember this if you weren't in morning worship, but I joked a couple of weeks ago that when Nehemiah showed up in Jerusalem, he was wearing fancy clothes and expensive shoes, and he was speaking with a Persian accent, and, and uh, I, I don't know exactly, to be honest, if he did wear expensive shoes and, and uh, fancy clothes. Uh, but the point is, he, 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 people thought of him as an outsider, you know, he was not born in Jerusalem. He shared an ethnicity uh, with the people who were there, uh, but he was perceived by them to be uh, something other. Uh, and I, just by way of background, when the Babylonian armies conquered Jerusalem, they carried off a large part of the population. They, they carried off uh, everyone but the poor and the elderly and the disabled, everyone uh, who might be of use to them. Right? And so that's the, the, those are the people who were left in the land. And 70 years later, th those are the people and their descendants are the ones uh, Nehemiah addresses here. Uh, and so now here standing before him uh, was someone who lived his entire life uh, in, in uh, another place, surrounded by wealth, all the finer things in life. And ask yourself, would you have trusted this man? I mean, would you have been happy to see him? Uh, would you have been ready to volunteer for the back-breaking work of rebuilding the wall in, in, in this city? Uh, I, I can't say that the people uh, Nehemiah faced were hostile to him, right? but put it this way, convincing them to get on board was going to be a tall order. And, and guess what? He did it. Uh, uh, listen to verse 17. There it is. Uh, so these are Nehemiah's words. You see the bad situation we are in, that Jerusalem is desolate and its gates burned by fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a reproach. Uh, that's the uh, New International uh, Version. So there are two reasons why uh, uh, Nehemiah succeeds in this situation. Three, if you remember that God is, is with him. So two reasons that his approach was just right and, and two reasons we should learn and incorporate into our own lives. The first was honesty. The city was desolate. Uh, anyone could see that, of course, but Nehemiah had the courage to say it and, and to name it and to uh, identify exactly what the, the, the problem was. He didn't blame anyone. He, <laughs> I think I might have been tempted to say, what have you been doing for the last 70 years? You know, uh, why has it taken this long? He didn't shame them by suggesting that maybe they like things uh, this way. He simply and courageously said what was true. 
This is a bad situation we are in. And that leads me to the second reason uh, Nehemiah was successful. Uh, Did you see the pronouns uh, that Nehemiah uses in his presentation? It's it's we. It's us. All right? Uh, Three times in in a couple of sentences, Nehemiah puts everyone together on the same level. We, us, our, come, let us rebuild this wall. One further point here, and I'll make this the, the last uh, uh, part of the sermon. There, there are basically two ways that people get motivated to, to do things. And Swindoll calls them extrinsic, extrinsic and intrinsic. Uh, extrinsic motivations are uh, bonuses and vacations and uh, promotions. So one way to get someone to work hard and to meet a goal is to reward that person with uh, things like that. Nehemiah could have said, <laughs> I'm going to reward you handsomely if you join me in, in rebuilding this wall. Uh, but he didn't do that, and maybe he didn't have the resources to do that. We don't know. But in any case, the motivation that uh, Nehemiah used was an intrinsic motivation. Studies show that bonuses and uh, vacations and promotions work mm, to a degree. But always, always the best way to get someone to do something is to appeal to something deeper. Right? A, a sense of pride, a sense of patriotism, or, as we'll see here, something even bigger than those things. Uh, I've spent most of my adult life, all of my adult life, as a matter of fact, working in a church setting. And uh, one of the delights of my life has been working alongside people who have this intrinsic motivation. Uh, of course, we like to be paid. And, of course, we very much enjoyed our vacations. But on every church staff that I have ever been a part of, there has been something else, and it's wonderful to be a part of a team like that. Uh, we did what we did. I, I mean, imagine this. We did what we did because we believed in it. All right? we, we always saw ourselves as part of something big, something far bigger than sometimes we could see. It was kingdom work. We were building God's kingdom on earth, or so we thought. One coffee hour, one pastoral visit, one choir practice at a time. And sometimes we needed to be reminded of that. Sometimes I needed to be reminded of that. But most of the time, this is astonishing when I think about it, that belief was what kept us going. Uh, Most of the time, it's most of the time it's difficult for us to appeal to this intrinsic uh, motivation. Look, uh, think of it this way. Rebuilding the wall was important, sort of, uh, but there was more at stake for Nehemiah. All right? He was building a people of God. Uh, he was building a home for God and, and for God's people. Uh, Nehemiah would later become governor. This, is, this happens at the end of, of his book, and it was this vision of a people of God that gave him satisfaction and motivation and purpose. The, the, the wall was secondary. Tell me, and I, I, I ask you in, in all seriousness, what wall are you working on right, in your own life, and, and, and why are you doing it? What is motivating you? Uh, if you were serving coffee at, at coffee hour, if, if you are working on the, the Beamer team, uh, if you are in the church office on Thursday afternoon collating and, and folding our, our bulletins, if you are opening your home to one of our home groups during the week, what is it that you think you are building? 
Uh, these jobs don't pay very well, maybe you've discovered. So what is it that you are building? We are all working together, it seems to me, on a much larger project, and let's call it the kingdom of God. So a brick here and a brick there may not seem like very much, but together we're building a city where God uh, might come and live, where God's people will find peace and rest and wholeness, where broken lives might be made whole, and where dashed dreams might become new dreams once again. So we all have a part, we all have a role to play, and sometimes that role you are playing may seem small and uh, insignificant, but I want you to know that it is very, very important uh, that with every brick you lay, you are building the kingdom of God, and that is no small thing. Will you pray with me? Let's pray together. Gracious God, thank you for the example of Nehemiah who points us forward to Jesus Christ, the the most remarkable leader who has ever lived. We thank you that in both of them we see someone who pours out his life uh, for others. Teach us in our own lives to give uh, what you have entrusted to us. Help us to share our gifts. Help us to join with you in building the kingdom of God in this place. We pray this in Christ's name.